0: This morning we find our text from the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 5, beginning verse 13 through to verse 7 of chapter 6. We're dealing this morning with the capture and the destruction, defeat of Jericho. And our text this morning will actually deal with what leads up uh, to uh, that eventual capture and destruction of this uh, city. So Joshua chapter 5, beginning at verse 13, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And so he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel, and none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, "See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war, you shall go all around the city at once. This you shall do in six days. And seven priests shall bear the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. so far, our text. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the book of Joshua, the situation is that the people of Israel have now crossed the Jordan River in a miraculous way, and after they've crossed the Jordan River, they they camped at a place called Gilgal, and there the Lord God renewed his covenant with his people Israel. And there all the male people of Israel were, again, circumcised. For when they were in the desert, a whole generation in the desert uh, that was born in the desert had not been uh, circumcised. And so here is Israel. They have crossed the Jordan River. They are camped at Gilgal. They have now renewed the covenant with God. So the question now is, so what now? Because there in front of them, There stands this mighty fortress city of Jericho. And the question is, so how are they now going to conquer this land when this mighty city stands in their way? And Israel knows that yeah, they they must go and and fight against the people of Canaan in order to to get this, this land. But how are they going to conquer this land of Canaan? And how are they going to conquer this mighty, this fortress city? For the people of Israel, they do not have a conventional army uh, like the nations of Canaan do. No, they are still quite small in in number. And so how are they going to fight this great, this massive battle? That was the dilemma for the people of Israel. That was the question also for Joshua. Joshua. But sometimes, also today, we may stand before the same question, and we may even wonder also in our situation in which we are today here in this world, how do we fight against the enemies in this world who are determined to destroy the Christian faith, who are opposed to those who are disciples and who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? And so it is also today, beloved, that every day we are confronted with the question of our own identity. Meaning this, that are we willing to identify ourselves as followers, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ here in the midst of this world where there's so much opposition against Him? Or put the question differently, are you willing to take up the battle each day to defend the name of your Savior and to promote the truth of the gospel in this world? And so as, as Israel, long ago, as, as they seem to face an impossible task when they're entering into the land of Canaan, today you can say we also face an impossible task in, the, in a world that is overwhelmingly wicked and that is opposed to Christ, that is opposed to the church of our Lord. Well, as Joshua contemplated the huge task that lay before him, we're told that the commander of the Lord's army appeared to him and gave him instructions with regard to the battle plan. And so just as the Lord's message to Joshua was back then, so the Lord's message also to us today, beloved, is that we do not face this huge task all alone, but that the Lord God is the one who also sends us the commander of his army. And today we know that commander is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that He is the one who now also leads us in battle against the very powers of darkness that we are facing every day of our lives. That also means that the focus in our life today needs to be directed to that great task that the Lord has given us here in this world where He's placed us. And beloved, that task is that we might promote the glory of His name. We might also promote the work of His kingdom. And so it is in that calling that the Lord that we find also the great purpose for our lives here today in this world. And so this morning I may proclaim to you God's word under this theme the commander of the army of the Lord has come. The commander of the army of the Lord has come. We look at two, three things. First of all, we see that the commander has come. Secondly, we see that the commander is the one who determines the battle plan. And thirdly, we we'll look at our need to submit to our commander. Our text begins by telling us that Joshua was near or by in Jericho. The text doesn't tell us why Joshua was there near the city of Jericho, but in the context of conquering the land, you can, we can safely assume that Joshua is thinking here about how they're going to conquer this mighty city. Because Israel needs to defeat this fortress city because this city is really the gateway into the whole land of Canaan. But how are you going to get into the city? How are you going to destroy it? Chapter 6 verse 1 says that the city of Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. So that no one went out and no one came into the city. And so, how, and so the problem for Joshua is, so how are we going to, to conquer this fortress city? And remember that Israel really doesn't have the technical means to be able to, to conquer such a mighty fortress. It is simply an impossible task for the people. And so as Joshua is looking over the city and contemplating how they might approach the city in order to, to conquer it, Suddenly he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him and he had a a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua goes up to him and then he asks this man, he says, "Are, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the man does not answer this question directly, but indirectly he simply says neither. He is not who Joshua thinks he is, somebody who is either for or against the people of Israel. But he replies this, he says, as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. You notice here that Lord is translated here in all capital letters. And so it means that Lord here translates God's covenant name, Yahweh. And so it is the commander of Yahweh's army who approaches and who appears now to Joshua. Well, who's Yahweh? Well, Yahweh is is the God who has just finished renewing the covenant with his people, Israel, there at Gilgal. Yahweh is the God who has come and claimed the people of Israel for his very own. He says, You are my people. And so this man says, I am the commander of the army that belongs to your God, O Israel. And then there's also discussion with regard to, well, who is uh, this army that he's talking about? Well, the army here usually is referred to in in scriptures as the army of angels who are under the command of of God. And so sometimes this expression is, is also translated as the Lord of hosts. And so this man comes to Joshua, the commander of God's heavenly army of angels. And there he stands before Joshua with his sword drawn in his hand. That's simply a picture that that reveals to us that that this man is is ready to enter into battle with God's army. The, The sword is already drawn. And so the implication for Joshua is very clear. The commander of God's army has now come for what purpose? With his sword drawn means he's come for the purpose of fighting for God's people. And so here the situation is that the people of Israel are about to enter into a serious conflict with all the nations of Canaan. And as they enter that conflict, what this man then reveals to Joshua is that they will have the commander of God's army fighting alongside of them. He will be fighting at their side. And so we're told that Joshua, in our reaction, he falls face down to the ground in reverence. And he asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Could I raise the question, does Joshua really know who is speaking to him? You know, the last part of verse 14 has Lord. I know in the NIV it has Lord in the, in the capital letter. I'm not sure what it is in the, in the New King James Version. But often Lord then is, is by Translating and spelling Lord here with a capital L, uh, takes it as if he is addressing the Lord to God. But it's more likely that Joshua at this time yet simply sees his man as a messenger who has been sent by God from heaven. And it isn't until the next verse, verse 15, uh, that, it becomes, that it will become clear to Joshua who this messenger really is. Because in verse 15 there the commander commands Joshua, says, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. I know the reader who's been reading through the scriptures and reading through the books of Moses today, but also the reader way back in the days of Israel, will immediately connect this encounter uh, with the encounter that Moses had with the Lord God at the burning bush. Remember there in, in the wilderness, The Lord God appeared to Moses, and he also, in order that he might command Moses, Moses, I'm sending you to Egypt, in order that you might deliver my people from the hands of the Egyptians. And so God then appeared in the wilderness to Moses to tell him that he, the Lord God of heaven and earth, but also the God who is Yahweh, I am who I am. To tell him that he has come, that he will deliver the people of Israel from their oppression and from their slavery in Egypt. And now, and now the same God comes and he appears to Joshua, the one who is the successor of Moses. And Joshua is now called by the Lord God to do what? To finish the work that was begun by Moses. Moses. For Moses began the work by delivering Israel out of Egypt, bringing them through the wilderness. And now Joshua is a task to finish that work by bringing the people into the land that the Lord God had promised them. And so Joshua then, we're told, is standing on holy ground. What's that mean? Well, it means that he's standing here then in the presence of Almighty God. And so Joshua also needs to acknowledge that he's standing in the presence of the Holy One, and therefore he needs to remove his sandals. This is holy ground he's on. Now within the context of the great conquest of the land of Canaan, it seems to me that that God is, is also saying this. God is also saying, the land that you are entering into is a holy land. It's a holy land, why? Because God says, I have claimed this land for my people, Israel. And therefore God says, because it's a holy land, I'm going to wipe out those wicked nations who have defiled the land. I will destroy them in in my great judgment. And I will give this land to you, my people, whom I have chosen. You, who are my holy people, because I have made you my very own. And so you notice here, beloved, that the Lord God comes and he gives the people of Israel some great encouragement. God himself, as the Holy One, he comes to Israel as the great commander. And God says, I will command my heavenly army of angels, and they will then also fight the battle for you, my people. And so the wicked, the corrupt nations of Canaan, then they cannot stand before the great holiness of God because God is holy, they will be wiped away in God's judgment, and the Lord will give His land, this land and to His holy people Israel. In that sense, beloved, you can say that the victory over the great enemy is fully, fully assured. Now there is some discussion about whether this commander is the Lord Jesus himself, who has come to Joshua in his pre-incarnation state. That's possible. But the text doesn't give us any basis for that kind of conclusion. Simply says that he's the commander of the Lord's army. It's obvious that it's the Lord God Himself who appears to him. Whether we need to understand this is the second person of the triune God or whether it's the Father, that isn't clear from the text. But from a, a Christological perspective, it's not necessary either to, to, to make such a conclusion. But from a New Testament perspective... We can simply say that the coming of the commander in this text is something that is fulfilled in a greater way with the coming of the Lord Jesus into the world. And that's why we can say also today that the Lord Jesus came as the great commander that He might take up the battle against the wicked forces of darkness here in this world. And so the Lord Jesus came that He might take up the battle against the devil you see that at the very beginning of his ministry when the devil came and he tempted him three times in the wilderness. And so the Lord Jesus came to fight against the devil. He came to also overcome sin and evil for us. He came that he might deliver us from the sin and the corruption in our own lives. And he might again restore to us hope of the eternal life with the Lord God in heaven. And so it is that the Lord Jesus came as the Holy One who fought the great battle his whole life. We know how he won the victory by his death there on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead. And that's why today, beloved, we may confess with our whole heart that the Lord Jesus Christ is the great commander who has come. And the coming of the Lord Jesus, then, also means this. It means that the whole focus in our lives now completely changes. And yet, beloved, so often we we lose sight of the Lord Jesus as the great commander in our lives. Because we can get focused on so many other things. We can get focused on the daily troubles in our lives. We Focus on the daily struggles just to make ends meet. Just to maybe survive in this world in which we're living. Or perhaps with the focus is a little bit different because of our prosperity. Our focus might be on trying to enjoy the earthly and the material things of the Lord, uh, that we enjoy here in our, our daily lives. And, and so we're constantly thinking about, How can I do this? How can I do that? How can I enjoy this life to the fullest? And what the result is that we get this kind of tunnel vision so that we're either just focused on the things that seem to be foremost in our lives. Perhaps we're just focused on our troubles and our misery. Or perhaps we can only see the things that we set our heart upon and we're pursuing those goals, those earthly, those material goals in our lives. Or perhaps we, we get overwhelmed and we see the wickedness and the corruption all around us in this world and we're worried about, where's the, my future and the future for my children, my grandchildren? Where's the future for the church? And as we focus on those things and we kind of get this tunnel vision, we have to lose sight of the great commander, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is indeed, he's working, he's busy today in the world in which we live. And therefore, a correction to that, beloved, is that we need to remember every day again that the Lord Jesus lays claim to the whole world. Remember that the world in which we live is holy. And it's holy in the sense that Christ has set the world apart for His holy people. As He set apart the land of Canaan as a holy land for His holy people Israel. And therefore, the enemies of Christ and the enemies of the believers today, they might boldly declare that somehow they have the upper hand. That somehow that believers and Christians were no longer relevant in this world, and they kind of push us back into a corner and say, be quiet. But beloved, we know, we confess, we believe that our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has prevailed. We look to Him as the one who is the great conqueror. And therefore, with Him, we are now all conquerors in Christ Jesus. So that in faith, we now set our eyes on the Lord Jesus, looking to Him as our great commander, trusting that our life is not lived in vain, but that each day, We may confidently fight the spiritual battle absolutely certain that in Jesus Christ we are victorious. And we are victorious. Because, beloved, the Lord Jesus is also the one as the commander of the Lord's army gives us the battle plan. Just as he came to Joshua and he gave to Joshua the battle plan for Israel. Chapter 6, verse 1. It tells us that the city of Jericho was completely locked up so that no one could get into the city, no one can get out of the city. And so it really leads to the question, so how are the people of Israel going to penetrate those thick, those massive walls of Jericho? And Joshua must have been contemplating those questions since he is the commander of Israel's army when suddenly this man appears to him. And in chapter 6, there we read how the commander gives Joshua the battle plan as to how Israel is going to conquer the city of Jericho. And he says to Joshua in verse 2, he says, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Well, there were the word see, or it's also translated as, Behold, the man and now draws Joshua's attention back to the issue of Jericho, that it was the issue that is at hand. And he begins by assuring Joshua that he will give the city into his hands, into the hands of Israel. He says, You will capture the city with its king and with its great army of fighting men. And so even before they fight, the, the victory is already assured by the Lord. And then the commander tells Joshua, and this is how you're going to defeat this great fortress city. You go and and you march around the city once with all the armed men, and you do this for six days in a row. And seven priests are to carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And then on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear the long blast on the trumpets, then have all the people shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse, and the people will go up, and every man straight into the city. I well, you know those details are something that we will not be able to get into this morning. That is material for another sermon. But here we'll focus on the plan itself. And in a very general way. You see, the commander of God's army does not instruct Israel to to fight. But they are simply to do what? They're simply to march around the city with trumpet horns blowing. And in that way, the people will conquer the city. You know, a military strategist will ask, well, what kind of plan is that? How are you going to capture a city by marching around it for a whole week? No, my granddaughter you're just learning to walk and just starting to learn how to do ring around the rosy. And You kind of walk around the circles. So children, you know how you walk around the circles and then at a certain point, everybody shouts and you all fall down. Well, that's the kind of strategy that the commander now gives uh, to Joshua and says, that's what you have to do to the city of Jericho. And you may say, well, isn't that child's play? Isn't that silly? And the people there in the city of Jericho, standing on their thick walls, they must have looked down, and you can imagine that many of them must have been laughing as they saw that procession, the people walking around the city. Although, on the other hand, you have to keep in mind, remember, they must have also been thinking about God's reputation, and they must have been wondering, what's going on here? This is pretty silly stuff but also for the people of Israel this must have seemed rather strange but it was even stranger in the eyes of the nations in Canaan because nobody has ever seen such a military strategy and no one believes that is ever going to work and yet and yet that which is foolishness in the eyes of mankind is really the wisdom of God. Because later on this chapter will then also tell us about the results of the Lord's strategy. The result is the walls are all going to collapse, the city is given into the hands of Israel. And so the Lord God reveals that He is the mighty God of heaven and of earth. And that the Lord God does not wage the battle in the same way as the people of the world do. For God, you may all say, it's like child's play. God doesn't need to lay siege to a city, but God just at the command of His Word can cause those city walls to collapse. And then, of course, there's this other question that arises in, in the minds of so many people that ask so, whether it was indeed just, was it really right for the people of Israel to completely destroy all these nations in the land of Canaan? As you know, the people of Israel, they weren't really any better than those people in, those people of Israel were no better than the people there in the land of Canaan. Israel also sinned. Remember how often they rebelled against the Lord God, even there in the, in the wilderness? But what we see here, beloved, is that the Lord God is the one who comes, and He is the one who defeats the nations. Oh yes, the people of Israel, they need to march around the city. But God is the one who destroys the city. It is the Lord God Himself who brings the judgment on these nations. Just as one day He will bring His judgment in that great day of judgment upon all the nations and all the peoples of this earth. And therefore, here too, there is a, a warning to us, but also a warning to all of mankind, that also today, one day, we will all fall under the judgment and under the wrath of God Almighty. And when that day comes, then we will need to be ready that we may face the wrath of God, because He is the Holy One. And so in all of this, the Lord reveals that He will conquer the world in a way that will often make no sense at all to us, mankind. You know, also when the Lord Jesus came as a great king to destroy the kingdom of darkness, to establish the kingdom of God. What did the Jews expect when the Messiah finally came and the Savior would come? Well, they thought when the Savior comes, then he will set up his throne in Jerusalem. And from there he will raise up a great army from the Jews and he will go out and he will conquer the nations and the armies of the world. He will destroy the great Roman Empire, which was the great worldly power in those days. The commander of God's army didn't come in that way. No, he came in humility. He came with great humiliation. And he suffered. Suffered at the hands of sinful people. He even was put on trial. He was mocked, ridiculed, nailed to the cross. Where the people mocked him and said, if you are the Messiah of God, then why don't you save yourself? There he died on the cross. He was buried in the grave. People of the world looked to this Jesus, this man. What kind of man is he? No power. Weak, humble. And yet, beloved. Yet He won the victory when also on the third day He rose from the dead in His resurrection and He overcame the last enemy, death. You know, for so many, Christ's battle plan was foolish. Paul says that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So also today, unbelievers, they mock the gospel story. Concerning the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they asked, how can a man who dies on the cross, how can such a man win the victory? And so it's a stumbling block to those who are perishing. Those who are on the way to their eternal wrath and condemnation. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 that to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He says that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And you know what? The weakness of God, he says, is stronger, more powerful than men. And so, beloved, what we see here is that the military strategy of our Lord is brilliant, for He has defeated the enemy forever. That means that today we are fully assured of the victory. And so as the commander says to Joshua, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. So our commander, the Lord Jesus Christ, assures us today that he has given to us the forces of darkness into our hands. Well, we still need to fight the spiritual battle. You need to fight that battle every day of your life. But beloved, the victory is assured in your Savior, Jesus Christ. And any implements of war are not the sword or the spear or guns and tanks, but it is the very gospel, the very word of God. And you know that too is counterintuitive in the world in which we live. Because people think that the way to to win is to force other people to serve God. You know, you find out also today, people who have, for example, a secular agenda... And they want to force that agenda upon everybody. How do they do that? Well, they will use the laws of the land to force people to to do their wicked things and to follow their wicked agenda. And if that doesn't work, then they might find ways in which they might make people's lives very difficult by fining them or by putting them in prison. And if that doesn't work, they might use intimidation and use violence. But you notice the Lord never uses that way to, to force people to serve Him. No, the Lord wages war against the hearts of stone. How? He does that with His Word. He does that with His Spirit. And it is through the power of the Gospel that the Spirit now is breaking down the barriers that surround so many hard and darkened hearts today. Remember, beloved, that the Lord Jesus, as the great commander, is the one who's broken down also the barriers there in your heart. He's the one who came and changed your heart of stone. And He made it into hearts of flesh. So that in faith and love, you know, again, you turn your heart to the Lord Jesus. And you acknowledge Him as your Lord. You acknowledge Him as your Savior. And today, you know that the Lord Jesus continues to fight for His church. In the midst of this dark world in which we live. And therefore, Paul could then also sing with assurance those words that we read together in Romans chapter 8, and we'll sing them in a little while. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. He says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Number six, Joshua called the priests and he commanded them to go and follow the orders that was given by the commander of the Lord's army. And so they are to take the ark of God and with seven priests carrying the trumpets are to walk before the ark of God. And finally then, Joshua also commands them, advance, cross over, march around the city with uh, the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. And as you read these instructions of Joshua, what strikes us here is that Israel is faithful. Faithful in in obeying the instructions of the Lord. And so they strike out in faith. Trust in that the Lord will indeed give them the victory over Jericho, what in human wisdom might seem to be child's play. And then some might argue that Israel is, is acting rather foolishly. Aren't they just setting out in blind faith, just hoping against hope uh, for the best? But that's not what's happening. There's no blind faith, beloved. But God's people now fully trust the Lord God with their whole heart. And they put their trust also in the battle plan that He has prepared for them. And they act out on God's command. Why? Because they have witnessed God's greatness. They have seen His great power. Now, of course, this generation did not witness their, the deliverance out of Egypt because that generation has now passed away there in the wilderness. But this generation has witnessed God's great power when they were in the wilderness. There they saw how God protected them from their enemies who wanted to to destroy them. And they saw how God every day sent them manna from heaven, how he gave them water from the rock. And then they saw how the Lord God also parted the waters in the Jordan River so that they're able to cross the Jordan on dry ground. And so the Lord God has revealed himself to the people of Israel as the Almighty God, the one who has delivered them out of Egypt, The one who has protected them in the wilderness, who has brought them into the promised land of Canaan. And so they have acknowledged him as the God who has fulfilled the promises he made to their forefather, Abraham, long ago. That means, beloved, that as God's people, also today, it means that we never act out of blind faith. But it means that whenever we act, we act in our great trust. Because we trust God as the Almighty God, and we trust Him because of His great and His mighty deeds. We trust Him, why? Because we witness His power and we witness His greatness. We witness that already in His creation, and we stand in awe at His great handiwork. We see the, the invisible qualities of God and His Almighty power and the things He has made, Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and 2. And we also trust Him, for He is the God who who we know has powerfully delivered His people Israel out of Egypt. And beloved, we we have learned to trust our Lord because we have seen His great work for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. We acknowledge Him as our Savior who has done great things for us. And then we've also seen His great work in the life of the church. We have seen it over the centuries as He has preserved His church and He has cared for His church. But even closer to home, we see His work in our very own lives. You see His work also, beloved, in your own life, and He's the one who opens your heart to understand also the great truths of His Gospel. And it's on that basis that we gladly, we joyfully, we take up the spiritual battle in our daily lives because we know God to be the Almighty God. In the days of Joshua, The Lord demanded Israel to go and to carry out his battle plans, and he promised them that he would give them the victory. And in a very wonderful and a miraculous way, the Lord gave Israel the victory over Jericho, and he opened up that entrance into the promised land of Canaan. Well, today, beloved, of course, we don't fight for a physical land like the people of Israel did there in Canaan. Today, we're fighting for the kingdom of God. And the way that we battle for the kingdom of God is that we may live each day in faithful obedience to the will of our Lord. Remember that every day you're standing there in the forefront of this spiritual battle. And every day in your life you're confronted with a spiritual battle that you need to take up. Every day you're confronted with challenges of the evil one. Every day the devil also is tempting you that he might lead you away from your Lord That means that every day there's also that challenge in your life to be faithful and to be obedient to the will of your God. And when you take up that battle, that spiritual battle, you don't do that in your own strength. But, beloved, we win this daily spiritual battle in the strength of the Lord our God. And therefore, Paul writes also in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12, he says, finally, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle. It's not against flesh. It's not against blood. But against the rulers, against the the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil there in the heavenly realm. So, beloved, we are called to arm ourselves with the Word of God. Why? Because it's only by the power of God by which we can win that great battle against the forces of darkness that are arrayed against us. It is in that power of the Lord that you can fight the good fight of faith over against the spiritual powers of darkness. Oh, we live in a dark world. We live in a world that is hostile to Christ, hostile to us, says the people of Christ. Beloved, you may fight the good fight in the assurance that the Lord Jesus is the one who will give you the victory. And one day, one day, the kingdom of darkness will be overcome. And the Lord will then also lead you into the glorious kingdom of our God. And therefore we may then also truly, fully believe, fully trust that to Christ belongs the victory and that therefore he is worthy of all praise, because he is indeed, he is the Holy One of God. Amen. Let us sing together in response those words from Romans chapter 8. As you find them in hymn 35, the stanzas 2, 3, and 4. Hymn 35, stanzas 2, 3.